There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to The Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by The Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, CEO and founder, and I am honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through paying it forward and giving back. Ethical business owners and holistic healers who are determined to create collective change in the world. Once we have a change in consciousness and through collective change, we can become one. I stumbled across my next guest in a Facebook post and knew that I simply had to speak with him. We leapt at the opportunity and found ourselves in what I know was the most beautiful hour of that day. Daniel Bruce Levin walked away from an opportunity to run a billion-dollar business to hitchhike around the world to find happiness and inner peace. He studied in a seminary five years and left one day before becoming a rabbi, and he has lived as a monk in a monastery for 10 years. As director of business development, he grew Hay House from $3 million a year in sales to $100 million a year in revenue. Danny is a visionary and the author of the life-changing fable, The Mosaic. His thinking is so profound that it became clear our missions aligned. He made me see that we are all part of the mosaic that is life, imperfect, imprecise, yet fits together perfectly as one. I hope you enjoy meeting Danny and hearing how he changes the world. Welcome, Danny, to The Ethical Evolution. Hey, thank you for having me, Bindi. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Oh, I am so honoured to be here with you today. And we have just been having the most beautiful conversation off air. And um, I'm so excited for what's ahead. But um, for people who don't know you, Danny, can you tell us who you are and what you do? Not an easy question to answer. (laughs) Uh, I I often wish that I was like many of my friends, that I I grew up in a a beautiful family, which I did. I... uh, went into my dad's business. I lived a mile from where my, where my folks lived. I had the friends that I grew up with and, and created deep, long friendships with them. But that was never the life that I was given. My parents passed away two years apart on the same day when I was a kid. Wow. And it threw me into this, into this moment where I said, I just don't understand. How in the world is it possible that the people I love the most and that love me the most were suddenly taken for apparently no reason. Mm. My dad died of a heart attack making love to my mom. My mom died of a heartbreak two years later of cancer because she couldn't be with my dad. And so I asked, I did, and I write about this in the mosaic. The mosaic's a fabulized version of my life. Mm -hmm. And I don't really, I never really wanted people to think it was my life. I just wanted to tell the story. But when when I'm honest, it's really a fabulized version of my life and in the story of the mosaic what it showed me in writing it is what really happened for me that I didn't even see happened until I wrote it I went to the adults and I asked the adults where my parents are and they told me Danny they're in they're in a good place they're in a place called heaven Mm. 
I was a young kid. I didn't know what heaven was. Mm -hmm. So I set out on a search to find heaven. But the people I met with and, and I saw, the people that were brought to me to come in my contact with me, were not the rabbis and the ministers and the priests and the shamans and the swamis and the gurus and the great world leaders. They were the trash man and the road worker, the mm. homeless man and the blind woman, the juice man and the gardener. And I wondered, why am I meeting these people? Like, what is it about these people? They don't seem like they're the custodians of heaven. How will I ever find heaven in, in these, with these people? And a voice inside me just said, you're here with them. Just take a few moments and just let them tell, talk to you. Just listen to them. And when I listened to them and heard their story, what I realized is who they were was so much bigger and broader than I thought they were. Mm. Perhaps I can tell you a story of one of those people that I met. I don't want to just make this a monologue, so I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll cast that <laughs> out as a possibility. Um, but what I saw was that the world that I saw was just that. It was the world that I saw. It wasn't the world that is. Mm. And when I could get myself out of the way to see the world that, was, that actually existed, it was an entirely different world. But just like, I don't know if you've seen that drawing, it's a black and white drawing. The one way it looks like an old hag and the other way it looks like a young socialite. Yep, yep. Okay. Yep. When you see the old hag, you can't see the socialite. Mm, mm. And when you see the socialite, you can't see the old hag. Yep. To me, that's the way vision is in this world. Yeah. What we see actually blocks us from seeing everything else that's there until we change our perception. And so for me, the heaven that I found wasn't some place where a guy with a much better beard than <laughs> I and much better looking than I lived up with a big G on his sweatshirt that said, <laughs> you can come in and you can't. <laughs> what heaven for me was that moment of perception where the old hag, suddenly you can see it as a young socialist. Mm. That moment where everything that you're looking at is suddenly not at all what you see anymore. You see something entirely different. Mm. And in that moment is real innovation. That's when companies really take hold. That's when families really take hold. That's when friendships really take hold. That's when love affairs happen. When you go from that place of being friends to all oh, seeing you, there's something here that wasn't here before, as my daughter in Beauty and the Beast watches all the time. You mm. know, um, And that's a magical moment. That's the magical moment to me of heaven. Mm. Because when I actually saw that, I saw that everybody I met along my journey that their face melted and I saw my mom and dad in them Oh! because my mom and dad were watching over me. They hadn't gone anywhere. Yeah. Their bodies had just gone. Yeah. But they were in every single being that I met watching over me, making sure that I was okay, safeguarding me, giving me guidance, moving me in the direction I, I needed to go because they wanted me to feel that love mm. and complete unconditional love that they always felt. So, oh. The world is the mosaic, the byline of it. I mean, the sort of underwritten story is nothing as it seems. Mm. Couldn't speak a truer word, my friend. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, you spent a good chunk of time in, in as, as a monk, am I right? Yes. Can you yes, tell us about you. that? Say that again. Can you tell us about your time as a monk? Sure, sure. Um, in my search for heaven, I did a lot of different things. Mm. 
surely I thought putting my, putting everything in this world aside because everything that I had tasted in this world didn't show me heaven. I didn't find the heaven that I was looking for there. I thought, okay, if the world, if this world that I'm living in is not the heaven that I'm looking for, why don't I go to a place where I don't have to be a part of this world, where I can go into the world when I want to, but I can have this silence and this seclusion mm. of being on my own and just sitting with my beloved all day long. And if you've ever fallen in love, you know, it isn't a chore to be with your beloved. It's something you, you can't wait for the moment you're with him or her. Mm. I, I created a love affair with my beloved that was so intoxicating for me that I just didn't want to spend any moments anyplace else. So I would sit in my chair, sometimes 16, 18, 20 hours a day, and just sit there and just feel, just love, love, love her and feel loved by her. And I would then chastise myself because sometimes I would find I was falling asleep in my chair. Mm -hmm. And I would say to myself, you know, it's, you don't get any bonus points by sleeping here. Like if you're tired, go to bed. Mm. And I was just about to get up when I heard my beloved say to me inside, why be so hard on yourself? Mm. I love holding you when you sleep. And I love that when you wake up, you're in my arms and I can see you wake up. What could be more beautiful than falling to sleep in the arms of your beloved? Mm. There's no reason to chastise yourself for anything. Just sit here with me. It's okay. And I realized again, there's, there was that change of perception mm. that I believed that it had to be this way and this is the way it had to go. But when you're in love with somebody, you can do all, you make so many mistakes, mm. but they don't see your mistakes. They see your beauty and, and they help you through your mistakes. It's not like you, you live a mistake-free life where you have a, get out of jail card every time you do something wrong. But they don't chastise us the way we chastise ourselves. And for me, that was the most beautiful thing to be able to spend. I was in the, monas the monastery for 10 years. Mm. I think the thing that happened for me, though, is that I felt a separation between the time that I was in my chair and the time that I was not in my chair. Mm. And I wanted to close the gap between that. Yep. And I said, I want to be able to feel what I feel in my chair when I'm not in my chair. Mm. I want to be able to sit on the chair of a bus where people are screaming, where there are animals all over the bus, where, you know, in, in foreign countries and, and riding with the people and feeling all the chaos and smelling all the smells and, and experiencing all the experiences or sitting on a street corner with someone who's homeless. And I want to be able to feel that same, my beloved in that same place. Mm. And so... I started leading pilgrimages around the world for people going to, to holy spaces, places. And I came home from my pilgrimage and I was picked up by a friend of mine, who, which was a woman. And it was odd for me because I, monks don't sit. I mean, one of my brothers should have, I thought one of my brothers should be picking me up. Mm -hmm. And I said, it's strange for me. Why are you here to pick me up? She said, oh, this isn't nearly as strange as what you'll see on the other side of, of, the, of this journey. I said, what are you talking about? And she said, um, while you were gone, I moved you out of the monastery and into my house. I said, I'm sorry, you did what? <laughs> she said, well, 
I think you're lonely because you've been overly flirtatious with me. And I, and I love you. And I want to see if we have a chance of making something work. I ended up marrying her. Wow. And having a child with her. And um, left the monastery, obviously. Wow. So my, my life has been a crazy amount of, like there's so many stories of my yeah. life that I tell that are not what people normally go through. Yeah. yeah. And that's what caused me to end up writing my book because I thought I'd like to just sort of share this story because it's almost like, you know how they say, um, no movie you could ever write. You can never imagine the story to be as real. Mm. You wouldn't believe the story if they told it in a movie. Yeah. It, it just is unbelievable. But the story of my life is that unbelievable story mm. that has had incredible highs and tumultuous lows. Yeah. And um, you're also well known for the work that you did with Hay House as well. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if well how well known I am, but <laughs> but I... I Hay House is the premier self-help publishing company in the world. Mm. When I came, they were doing about $3 million in sales. And they were mainly a boutique publisher of Louise yeah. Um, And she had New York Times bestsellers. And it was, she had a, you know, she was fabulous. Her work was fabulous. And when I came there, the man who ran it said, I've watched you do tons of things that should have been multi-million dollar ideas but the people you were working with never let never gave you free reign to do it mm. um i would like you to do whatever you you want to do i said you're kidding me you're going to hire me to do whatever i want to do <laughs> he said absolutely because i have full faith in you that you'll make us a lot of money and so i said okay that one of the first things i want to do is if we're a self-help publishing house i want to get all the major self-help authors to be published here. He said, he said, Danny, you'll never, ever, ever do that. That'll never happen. And I said, I said, read ne never's a long time. <laughs> um, what if I could find a way to make it happen? Mm. I said, this is exactly what you said you're hiring me for. Don't do what everybody else has done to me. If you say you're going to give me the opportunity, let me find a way to make it happen. Mm. He said, okay, I think we're going to throw out a lot of money on this one, but give it a try. And I said, I'm going to look in your eyes one day and I'm going to say to you, do you remember when you said that? Mm. And if you're honest, you'll say yes. But if you're like most people, you say, no, no, I supported you the whole way. I came up with what we called the card decks. I wrote the first card deck called Zen Cards. Wow. And then I, I took it to Wayne Dyer and I said, would you do uh, inner peace cards? And I took it to Louise and I said, can you write power thought cards? Yep. And I, and I took it to the four agreements for Don Miguel. And I said, can we publish your four agreements cards? And we came out with those four decks and we took them to bookstores and bookstores said, no, there's no place. We don't know what to do with these. They're not books. They're not. I said, how in the world do you not know what to do with them? These people are New York Times bestselling authors, except for this idiot who wrote Zen cards. <laughs> Nobody knows who he is, but, Zen's, but Zen is a big topic. Yeah. The topic itself will sell on its own. Why don't we just trust that the fact that people who are buying these people will buy something else mm. by these people, which is more beautiful, which is like a gift, which is, which is like the, a new version of Cliff Notes, because mm. it has the top 50 thoughts of what these people are saying in their books. Mm. 
And they said, okay, we'll give it a shot. Some years later, what happened is the people that would never come to us came to us and said, I don't know what's happening. Whatever you did with our card decks, we're selling 10 times the amount of, copy, of copies of our card decks than we are of our New York Times bestsellers. Wow. Why in the world would we publish books with you? <laughs> and I said, well, the easy reason is because you're getting a million dollar advance and we can't give that to you. Mm. The, the real reason is you're selling those anyway. We can put the books in the bookstores. We can get them out if you're willing to co cooperate with us. And if you know that together we'll sell as many books as you're selling now, if not more, and we'll support you and find new ways to sell it, we'll take you into the gift market and the spa market. We'll create a radio show. We'll create conferences. We'll, we'll create lots of ways for you to sell it that your, your publisher isn't doing. Will you have the courage to come with us? And they went, ah, I don't know. I don't know. And I said, okay, you don't need to know. One person had the courage. And the only reason she had the courage is we said to her, you have a book that's out of print that nobody wants to publish. Well, we would like to publish that for you. Her name was Sylvia Brown. Mm. She was a world-renowned psychic that was on a show called Montel Williams. Yep. We decided that she was on once a month, and we decided we were going to take an out. We were going to pay for an ad on the time that she was on that show and say, get this book by Sylvia Brown that nobody that, that's been out of print until this period of time. We're offering it to you. It's called Adventures of a Psychic and read the story of Sylvia's life. That book was on the New York Times bestselling list for over 52 weeks. Wow. So we took a book that nobody wanted and we advertised on a show that all of her fans watched. Yep. And guess what? Spoiler, they all bought it because they loved her. Mm. And it was on the New York Times list. It just kept, by the fact that it was on there, it just kept going. Mm. And so she became the first New York Times bestseller we had that wasn't called Sylvia, that wasn't called Louise Hay. Yeah. Wow. And then it became easy. Then she started to help us or other people said, how do you do that with her? And we said, we can do it with you too if you just give us a chance. Mm. And so one by one, they started to come to us. And we were selling what I call, which is where I am. I'm the cream of the crop. I'm, I'm the top people and the people nobody gives a darn about. <laughs> and so if we were publishing the people that and, and having success with the people that nobody cares about, imagine what would happen if we did the same thing to people that everybody knows and cares about. Mm. The results would go. And so our company grew. We grew we grew to 100 million. We to Hay House from $3 million a year to $100 million a year. And the card decks were one of the first things that got it because they brought in all these people. Then we did conferences, then we did their books, then we did you know all, all home study courses, then we did all sorts of things. Um, but it all became available because everybody who should have been at Hay House when it started was now clamoring to be at Hay House. Mm. So that never, they'll never come, turned into something that I could say, look, they, they're never going to come, huh? That is incredible, Danny. And like, I, I, I have a whole bookshelf here full of those kind of books, I have to tell you. Um, and I actually have met Wayne Dyer as well. And incredible human he was um yes. yeah so wow that must have been an incredible ride for you and and you know to to make such a difference to so many lives in doing so well it was fun because here's what i really say and probably you know i won't be popular for saying this none of us really were that great at what we did 
But what happened is, I believe, and I believe it because I've learned it through what the mosaic has shown me. In a mosaic, there aren't pieces that are greater or lesser. I mean, it's made up of broken pieces most of the time. Some are whole, some are broken, mm. some are larger, some are smaller, but there's nothing, there's no piece that's actually so much better that it carries the whole uh, artwork. I mean, people don't look at the mosaic and go, oh, that piece is the reason why it's working. Mm. It's in the coming together of all those pieces that something beautiful happens. So we were quite ordinary people. But the way something extraordinary happens is when extraordinaries come together, mm -hmm. they create extraordinary things. We, I think, have misunderstood that concept. Mm -hmm. We think we have to be extraordinary. We think we have to have superpowers. We think that we have to wear capes and masks and fly around the sky. And these are what my superpowers are. What I believe happens is that's created a pandemic of, of trying to reach a bar that we can never sustain. Mm. We, nobody can be exceptional all the time. Even Superman takes, takes off his cape and, and is Clark Kent sometimes, right? Yeah. And so we have to realize that there is such a beauty in being in, in, in the ordinary. There's nothing more beautiful than a sunrise. And we know exactly the time of day it's going to happen in, in exactly the location we're in. It happens every single day. There's nothing extraordinary about it, but there's everything extraordinary about it. Mm. You know, when you see leaves changing colors in the fall, one of the most beautiful things in the world, when you see, when you see petals growing and leaflets pushing out of a, of, a, of a plant and flowers growing, most beautiful thing in the whole world. Mm. We are the only people that want to be other than we are. Yeah. The mountain doesn't want to be the river and the river doesn't want to be the lake. They're happy being what they are. Why do we need to be other than we are? And I believe that the reason why there's so many people that don't feel good enough and don't love themselves and don't feel like they're enough is because they're trying to hold this silly bar for themselves mm. and having to be extraordinary. What if they would just see how beautiful they are as who they are, as ordinary people, that pandemic would end in a moment. Oh, yeah. And and we are all just a miracle. And I think if we, we all took a moment to, to recognise that instead of trying to be something that we're not, um, wow, what a world we would have. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about the mosaic for me and what it's showing me is these aren't hard. Like every time I say these things to people, they're so easy to comprehend. It mm. doesn't take a, it doesn't take, you don't have to become a rocket scientist. They're not exactly. hard concepts. Yep. They're easy and they make sense and they're common sense. But somehow we live a different life. Well, I don't know why. Mm. Oh, so, Danny, in the work that you do now, what would you say is your mission? Simple. And it's something that every single human being could do. It's, there's nothing special about me. Mm. I've had the opportunity to be with the richest people in the world. Not in their meeting rooms, but in their, in their, around their dining room tables. Mm. They've been kind enough to give me counsel and kind enough to ask me for counsel on occasion. Through Hay House, I've met some of the, of some of the most inspired people in the world. People that whose books have touched millions and mm. they talk to thousands of people. And I've been the one, I was the one when I was there that they came to when they felt less than and when yeah. they felt insecure and when they felt in pain and when they felt like they were an imposter. 
I was the one that saw saw them with all their flaws. They didn't show that to that many people because they didn't feel that they would be judged. They felt safe with me. And I've also had the opportunity to sit on street corners with some of the poorest people in the world. I would go from city to city to country to country, and I would just sit with some of the poorest people or walk with them along the way. And what I found was so remarkable. Bindi, in every single case, all of those people wanted the same three things. Mm. They wanted to be loved and accepted. They wanted to be listened to and heard. And they wanted to be acknowledged and validated. Absolutely. And when I realized that that was something I could do and I could do it easily, it didn't take any energy to do that. It's just as easy to love somebody as it is to hate somebody. Mm. I remember speaking to somebody and saying, I just love you so much. And she looked at me and she said, well, how is that possible? How is it possible that you can love me? You don't even know who I am. And I said, well, but hold it. If people can hate, if people can hate for no reason, why can't we love for no reason? Yeah. I love you for no reason. Mm. So what I do now is really simple. I hold the space for people to feel loved and accepted, listened to and heard, and acknowledged and validated. And what's so interesting for me, Bindi, is what I've seen happen in that process. We all walk around quite siloed Mm. with walls around us to protect ourselves so we don't feel pain. Mm. And we think that when we come close to another person, we wonder why we don't feel them or why that doesn't fulfill our need to feel seen and heard. Mm. But really what's happening is my wall is just touching your wall. We haven't seen each other. We're, we're hiding behind those walls. When we practice kindness to each other, when we love and accept each other, when we don't judge each other, when we listen to each other and hear each other without fighting what they believe, you have every right to believe whatever you believe. Mm. You don't have to believe like me. And in my 65 years of life, no one's ever said to me, Danny, you have to believe what I believe. When they feel loved and accepted, listened to and heard, and acknowledged and validated, they understand that I might believe differently. Some of my best friends have the most wild belief systems you could ever imagine. Yeah. But if they were in harm's way, I would take a bullet for them. Mm. Because I love them. I don't care what they believe. Mm. But somehow in, these, in this time, in this day and age... What's happened is our beliefs have defined us Mm. into silos where we hate the people that believe, that don't believe like us. But we weren't created to live in silos. Mm. Everything about the system of mixing with unlike minds is what creates innovation in businesses and relationships. It's what gives vitality. In the mosaic, our mosaic would look very plain and dull. If it were all pieces of the same size and same color, Mm. might be cute for one or two mosaics, but people would get sick of them after a while. Yeah. They would call them tiles and make floors from them, (laughs) but they wouldn't look them as pieces of of art. It's the diversity that makes them beautiful. Mm. It's the the fact that sometimes a piece just connects corner to corner. That means most of what this piece believes and most of what this piece believes they don't agree on, mm. but just this tiny little space right here mm. is what makes them connect. If we can do that in artistry, why in the world can't we do that in humanity? 
Exactly. It should be so simple. Yeah. If we would only look. For, so what I do is I hold that space for people. And when people don't feel the need to protect themselves, their walls come down. Mm. And when their walls come down, they find that suddenly, maybe even for the first time in, the, in a long time for themselves, they actually see themselves as who they really are. Yeah. And they fall in love with that person. Because that person is so much more beautiful than the paintings they've drawn on the walls around them, hoping to please other people, thinking that that's who they're telling them, that's who I am. Who we are is so magnificent, mm. but we don't even give ourselves a chance to know that because we're too scared. But yeah. in these spaces that I hold, there's no reason to be scared. And people just show up and miracles happen. Mm. Oh. Danny, I love that so much. And, you know, it's something that I, I tell my clients as well is that, you know, we we are the stories that we tell ourselves. And, you know, uh, I, I just said this last week is that, you know, every day we have the opportunity to, to turn the page and, and write a whole new story, a whole new chapter. I so, I you know, um, we we are the story. Yeah. I love that. I was just talking to someone I can't remember – who she said said it. But she said, you have no obligation to be the person you were five minutes ago. Mm, yes. Yeah. You can be the person you are now. Yeah. And in, in Mosaic, it showed me a, a pattern. Mm. It showed me that our thoughts become our words. Mm. Our words create our stories. And our stories make up our life. Mm. If we're not happy with any part of that ask, that formula, if we change any part of the formula, the whole formula will change. Yeah. If we change our thoughts, the words we say will be different. If we change our stories, the words we use will be will have to be different to tell them. The life that we have will be different. If we change our life, the stories will change, the words will change, mm. and the thoughts will change. It's that simple, isn't it? <laughs> it's amazing how simple yeah. it is. Yeah. And the other thing that, you know, blows my mind is, and it's, again, very, very simple, is that, you know, all the rules we put on ourselves are exactly that. We've put them there. We can take them away. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all and, part of that story. And the question is, why do we even do it? Mm. Like, what do they give us? What What do we get from the things that we that make us continue to do something that actually harms us. Mm. It's just crazy. <laughs> I just was sitting with, with a couple today and they've had a lot of tension in their relationship because they met after he had bought his house. Mm -hmm. And that house was like the biggest, biggest thing he had ever spent money on. And it was his house and he loved his house and he felt like, you have to pay to be in my house. It wasn't like I welcome you into my house and share my house with you. He didn't want to give her that. Mm. And now because of the situation, they're moving, they're selling the house and they're moving into an apartment in, in her parents' house. And he has to let go. He's letting go of all of that. Mm. And the whole thing has changed. And she, her position is, welcome into our house. This is going to be our house. Yeah. And one day when we're ready, we're going to buy our own house. And we're going to have our new house that is our house. But the same house that brought him all this joy created all this tension. Mm. 
Mm. And I could see as they were getting ready to go, he was still holding on to some of that. Of, I'm, I'm going to miss my house and I love my house. I said, just let it go. Mm. As beautiful as it's been for you, it's time to let somebody else enjoy the beauty of what this house has done for you. Mm. And for you to create in your house, the house of you and your wife together, which is your own real house, which is where you stand together as a family. Become that family. Forget about a, a structure. What's a structure mean? Mm. And it was beautiful to watch him just sort of let go a little bit more. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Now, Danny, can you define what being ethical means to you? Yeah. It's changed so much for me. Yeah. Um, Ethical for me and integrity pretty much walk hand in hand. And I always thought I had been an ethical into in and my integrity was how I would define myself. Mm. And my integrity led me to do ethical things. But if I can share a very personal story with you. Sure. What I find in my life is the places I have the most problem is when my core values disagree with my core values. Mm. When I have one core value that says I need to have integrity and I need to have be this person that is ethical and always good. And I also have another core value which says I want just someone to love me and, and I want to be loved unconditionally by another human being. And what that situation caused in me was me to have an affair. And I was someone that was outspoken as an ethical person with integrity. Mm. I was so outspoken about people that had affairs. Mm. That the beautiful universe itself said, okay, let's, you're so outspoken about it. Let's put you in it and see what, so you can understand it. Mm. And when given the choice between the love of my heart, the integrity of my spirit, any choice I made, I would have lost. Yeah. But I choose to go with the love of the heart. Mm. That caused so many problems because in a moment I lost my integrity. The very thing that I decided that the love that I wanted to feel literally took away from me the integrity that was mine. It was how I defined myself. And so I used to say I have a hole in my soul. I lost my integrity. I can't say I'm a man of integrity anymore because a man of integrity doesn't do what I did. Mm. An ethical person doesn't make a mistake like that. Mm. Until I sat with it for a long time feeling that way. Remember, our thoughts create our words, our words create our stories, our stories create our life. Suddenly I started to say, what if that's just not true? Mm. What if a man of integrity or, or an ethical person is not someone that doesn't ever make mistakes, but it's how they deal with their mistakes and how they rebound from their mistakes that defines whether they have integrity or, or if they're really ethical. Mm that I hadn't lost my integrity. I still have my integrity. I just lost my way of, re of relating to it. 
But was there something in the lesson that I was given? Was the lesson I was being given trying to teach me something that if I would listen to it would be a really more genuine, real way Mm. of living in a world with integrity? And I realized, yes, it was. Mm. My integrity was to stand up and say I made a mistake. My integrity was to confront that situation and talk to my wife about it. My integrity was was tested. Mm. Because when I told my wife about it, 10 months later, she developed late stage breast cancer, which brought her through five years of the worst cancer death you could ever imagine. Mm. And so I believe that I put a, a stumbling block in the way of a blind person. Mm. And that made me think, how can you say you have integrity when you did that? Who would do that? But then I saw the world's bigger than me. I don't have that control. Mm. I don't have that much power. Mm. I, can, I can admit that I did something that wasn't right. I can apologize for it. I can try and care for the situation and be there with her every step along the way and try and, show, and, try and reacclaim, reaffirm to her the love that I have. One action is not define a person. The course of a lifetime defines a person. I remember when I was in the, in the, in the seminary, the Rebbe said to me, your problem is you're too honest. Mm. Your honesty doesn't allow the truth to happen. And I said, I'm sorry, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> I said, what do we move from a, a rabbinical school to a, <laughs> to a Zen monastery? Like, what, what are you talking in Cohen's now? Like, what, are, what the heck are you going to say? He said, let me show you how simple the, the difference is. Imagine you're out for the day and you come home and you say to your wife, Honey, I thought about you every moment of the day, except for about 45 seconds when this drop-dead gorgeous woman walked by. I couldn't keep my eyes off of her. What do you think your wife hears? Do you, think she, she hears <laughs> do you think she hears that you were thought about her 23 hours, 59 minutes, and 15 <laughs> seconds? Or do you think she hears that you thought about her? What the hell were you doing thinking about somebody else for 45 seconds? What kind of man are you? What are you? You're a a terrible human being. That's honest. The truth is, I thought about you almost every moment of the day, and I love the thought of you. I love you so much, and sometimes I can get distracted, maybe. But that doesn't take away one moment of the love that I feel for you. Mm. And I want you to know how much I give you, how much I love you, and how much I feel you. Some people will say that's not honest. Maybe it's not, but it is truthful. Because the 45 seconds stole the truth of the fact that for 23 hours, 59 minutes, and 15 seconds, he actually was thinking of her. Mm. Wow. I just love your perspective so much. I could just sit and talk to you all day. Absolutely love it. Um, now, Danny, if people want to find out more about you, um, where can they go? The easiest place is just go to my website. It's simple to manifest. It will go through. You can see what I do, what I think, what I, what's possible, how we can work together if you choose to. And that's danielbrucelevin.com, and I'm sure you'll have that for the show notes. Absolutely, yes. Um, and I, I really welcome people, if they haven't felt heard or listened to or, mm. or acknowledged, contact me. Mm. If you want to learn how to do this work, contact me. It's not something that I teach. You're not broken. You don't need to do it. Mm. You just need to be 
when the world comes together and holds each other and loves each other and stops trying to teach each other and fix each other, we become a different world. If you look at a mosaic, nobody's teaching each other what to do. They're just pieces embracing mm. each other, holding each other together, having each other's back. And in that, something beautiful is created so much more than what a piece can do on its own. And my book's available all around the world through Amazon. So you can easily get a copy of it wherever you are. I can't wait to read that, actually. I'm, I'm going to grab a copy and I'm going to read it because just I just love the concept of the mosaic and, and, and all the philosophy behind it. I absolutely love it. Now, i got the last big question for you, Danny. What's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life? So simple. Um, as I said before, I'm creating a revolution of listening. It doesn't cost anything to be a part of the revolution. It's a revolution. A revolution. There are two ways to bring change in the world. One is to dictate it from the top and to, and to command people follow. The other way is to do it from the bottom up. Mm. The mosaic is all about the common ordinary people coming together to create the world that they want to create without the, without the desire or need or, or thought that somebody bigger than them has to do it. We are a powerful group of people. Mm. And when we come together and we, and we create this revolution, the world will change. I have another website called themosaiconline.com. If people go to that, they'll see something that I was trying to initiate. I don't know if it will happen in my lifetime. It's called The Swarm. What happened is I worked with people out of Stanford University and brilliant people who started to look at the way primitive mindsets have operated. They looked at the way birds fly and fish swim and bees create a hive and make decisions. And what they found is that there is, is a swarm mentality mm. that when they operate together, when you see birds fly in a flock, yep. there is no leader. They all move in simpatico with each other. Yeah. When you see fish in a school, it's the same thing. Yep. It's like one mind in all these different bodies. When you see bees decide how they're going to build a, a hive, they come together in a hive and they, you can move them to decide where they're going to go. And then they all decide, they come to the place where there's no resistance and they go there to build their hive. So he wondered if it would, if it would be possible for humans who don't think that way. We think in group consciousness, we think in vertical relationships, we think in, in directing people where to go. Mm. If it would be possible for them to think in a swarm, and he created a company called Unanimous AI, which they've done amazing things. You can look them up, unanimous.ai on the web. Yep. And I said to him, if it's working for you in some other ways, well, why don't we start to come together and figure out how do we want to, how do we want to embrace solving the problems that exist in the world today? We can sit back and wait for somebody else to do it, or we can decide to take it on ourselves and do it. And so I created what I'm calling the mosaic swarm. I'm asking people, their membership is $1 a month. Yep. $1 a month is what most people can afford. There are places where people cannot afford to do that. Mm. So for people who can't afford that, I'm asking people who can't afford it, if they would be willing to donate $2 a month, that's $24 a year. And if they are, we'll use that money to 
to scholarship in those people in countries where a dollar a month is like a billion dollars for us. They can, mm. There's no way they can ever do it. Yeah. And then we'll bring them together in virtual rooms and we'll ask them, what are the problems we want to solve in the world? Is it global warming? Is it racism? Is it, is it poverty? Is it homelessness? Is it um, sexism? Is it, is it racism? What is it, what is it that we want to go after? And we'll let them use this technology of unanimous AI to come up with what it is we the people want to solve. And if we have a minority of 1 billion, because 7 billion people will think we're crazy, but a minority of 1 billion is all we're looking for. That would be a billion dollars a month that we could put to solve the solutions that the people come up with the way they solve it, we'll, 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 we'll ask them to, how they would solve it. And we will, we will go about the problems that they want to, in the ways they see to solve it, rather than having one person dictate what we're going to do to millions and millions of people. What a stupid way to do it. Mm. When you have all these, you have a 8 billion minds that are capable of, of having thoughts on what they feel needs to change. There's some, you know, little pieces that have to come together for that to happen. It may happen in my lifetime. It may not. But I believe that, as Buckminster Fuller said, you can't change a civilization by the thinking of the civilization. You have to create a new model of thinking that makes the old model obsolete. Mm. I believe this way that we elect, we elect presidents and, and royalty and do all that stuff is an antiquated system. Mm. As soon as we vote for one, we are, we oppose another. And you see that in America, 75 million mm. people voted for Trump yeah. and 81 million people voted against him. Mm. And, and you see that split of those 75 million people just so mad. But if we would work together as a swarm and we would come together and make decisions collectively, yeah. we would all be a part of the process of making the decisions of who leads our country, who, how do we solve the things that we need to have solved. And the beauty would be that we would have $1 billion a month. Mm. So we, went, we might make a few mistakes. We might, we might waste $10 billion trying to come up with the exact right way to do it. But all you'll have invested is $10. All I'll have invested is $10. Yeah. I'm willing to invest $10 to, to make 10, to throw away $10 billion if in the end we can find a solution together that will solve the causes of human suffering. Oh, Danny, if people could see my face, I'm just sitting here gobsmacked. Um, <laughs> but th- what you've just described there is the whole mission of, of what I do. It's all about collective wow. change. So. Wow. And this is why I knew I had to talk to you. Um, I love it. Yeah. So, so with that in mind, and I don't mean to take, we can go off air if I'm taking too much time on your calling and recording. <laughs> but with that in mind, what's happening to me now, I realize, is I have, I've had, I'm having thousands and thousands of conversations, mm. some of which are just nice conversations, some of which I'm working with people, some of the things are happening. But there's some conversations where people resonate. How is it possible, Bindi? That you and I didn't know each other existed before 20 minutes ago, half an hour ago, 45 minutes ago. Oh, I don't know, and here mate. We are sitting, <laughs> here we are sitting and we feel exactly the same thing. Yeah. And what we say resonates and what you're doing and what I'm doing are so similar. Mm. And what I'm feeling is suddenly now the mosaic is drawing its pieces together. Yeah. So that we come together. I don't care what it's called. It doesn't have to be called the mosaic. It can be. It can't be. It doesn't matter the name of it. 
What matters is the work gets done. Mm. And we're bringing together people in different regions of the world. And what would happen if we all came together and really said, we are committed to doing this. We have somebody in the UK, we have somebody in India, we have somebody in China, we have somebody in, in Australia, we have somebody, and, and we can have hundreds of people in those places. Absolutely. We all work together to create and build this idea and bring bring billions, bring one, bring the minority of one billion. I love mm. that name. Because people think, well, a billion is not a minority, but it is. It's a, it's a minority of one yeah. billion people. Yeah. And what would a minority of one billion people could conceivably do together oh. to take to create in America? Our constitution starts off with "We the People." Yeah, I don't know that America has ever known a moment where we've lived a "We the People" world. Yeah, but I believe the founding fathers had a great idea. Mm. Too bad there weren't some founding mothers in that, <laughs> in that group too. <laughs> but I believe that that they, they were onto something. Mm. That when we, the people, come together, there's nothing we can't do. That's it. So, so true. And, yeah, and that's basically, you know, what I'm I'm trying to do in, in my mission as well. And, um, you know, so through the conversations I'm having, um, I'm connecting people around the world to, um, you know, collaborate and bring their missions together if they're working on the same thing. Like, you know, um, if, if you're going towards that same cause, why not do it together um, many hands make light work, right? So yep. that's that's yep. what I'm trying to do. Well, let's let's continue the conversation. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think we were meant to talk today. So, <laughs> but Danny, I uh, I can't thank you enough for the most beautiful hour uh, of my day uh, with you. Thank you so much for being part of the ethical evolution. It's my honor. It was my most beautiful hour as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution Podcast. If you're an ethical business owner, change maker or holistic healer who's determined to make a change in the world and you need support to spread your message, visit ethicalchangeagency.com to collaborate. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big home. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, the Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the Interviews. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.